Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Future of Internal Communication podcast. And as always, I'm joined by my wonderful co-hosts, Dominic Walters and Kat Barnard. And today we have a fantastic guest, uh, David McLeod, as we are going to embark upon talking about what is employee voice and how do we, as a profession, enable it. I'm sure to many of our listeners, David's name is very familiar, but I will give a little introduction um, to our guest today. Uh, so David McLeod is a co-chair of the British Employee Engagement Task Force, which launched in 2011. And in 2008, David and Nita Clark were asked by the UK government to produce a research paper on the importance of employee engagement. And in 2009, his published work, Engaging for Success, was described as the definitive work on this subject. He's a founding member of the UK volunteer movement, Engage for Success, an organization promoting and striving for improved engagement at work. So David, we're thrilled um, to have you on our podcast and thank you so much for joining us today. Well, it's, ter it's terrific to be on and thank you very much indeed for asking me and I look forward to discussing uh, this with you, Dom, uh, Jen and Kat. Brilliant. Yes, we're very excited for it. So, but let's kick us off with just a little bit of, for those listeners that perhaps don't know, but I'm sure many do. Can you just tell us a little bit about the history of the E4S movement and how you came to be asked to undertake the research? Okay, well, thanks very much. Well, I'll try and, I'll try and be brief. Um, uh, my background is in consumer marketing, and then I went on to run businesses. And from that, uh, of course, all the deductive analysis was important, the Porter's forces and so on, but it was completely ever more obvious to me that actually there was something else going on which came to be known as employee engagement because they were the people who innovated. My early career was all about innovation. Innovation is difficult and tricky, and, and uh, the road is always potholed with failure. So uh, how you handle that uh, to create competitive advantage it really lies at the heart of uh, heart of my thinking and then running global businesses and feeling this great theme throughout. So I wrote a book on it and I was asked, I think as a result of that, uh, to write a report to government, as you said, Jen, uh, with Nita Clark, who has a background in the union movement and worked at Number 10 for many years. We're um, uh, uh, unlikely chums, but we're huge chums and we've worked together for over 10 years now and uh, we really have incredibly aligned sense of what it's all about and we were asked to write this report really to answer three questions what is employee engagement secondly is there any evidence it matters and if there's some evidence it matters what as it turned out were four things that were present in organizations that seemed to be making a good fist of it well we looked at government reports and what you found quite often was the report was written and um, I'll put too fine a point on it, it. There's a lot of dust then gathered on it on the shelf, um, and we were quite keen this wasn't the case. And we had a lot of feedback to say it's all very well to write a report, but we want to know what to do. And we said, well, we're not going to write um, a, a report what to do because every context is different. We're not going to turn ourselves into consultants, but maybe we could find these themes. Maybe we could promote people sharing and learning together, sharing the scars on their back, sharing some successes, and create more of a movement of people who believe this is important. They might believe it's important. 
for the performance of the organization. They might believe it's important because it allies with well-being of people. They might believe it's important because it, it reflects their values. But whatever it is, let's come together and let's see if we can move the dial on the importance of the employee, the human being employee at, uh, at work. So as you mentioned, Jen, we set up a task force, which hasn't met for a while, but we but it's spawned a movement. Uh, we've got um, a website, which is all run by volunteers. We had over a third of a million people come onto it uh, last year from over 100 countries, uh, which is well up on previous years. Uh, and through that, we aim to share questions, best practice. It's gayforsuccess.org. Uh, it's, um, it's just got tons of stuff on there for people to learn or get irritated by or promote, promote the discussion. Uh, so that's uh, really the, sort of what lies behind it. And really with a thought that if we can move the dial a bit, it's good for the individual at work. It's good for the organizations that are, tend to be more successful with engaged employees. And if more organizations are successful, it's good for our country. And if you look, I guess most of us listening today will be from the UK. If you look at where the UK is at the moment, that's twice as important as it was 10 years ago. So that's that's the thought uh, and of what we're trying to achieve uh, by spreading press practice and shining a light on, 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 on that so that people can take what's relevant to them and apply it in their uh, in their context is that is that more than enough that's brilliant thank you david <laughs> david you, you mentioned the last decade i guess and, and what a decade it's been i, I suppose 10 years ago we we're just coming out of the credit crunch and then we've been certainly in the uk we've been through brexit and those ramifications we've had covid and um, we've had times of high unemployment we've had skill shortages now we're going as you mentioned uh, the the great resignation and all that goes around it so the context has changed. Um, what's your view on how it, employee engagement itself has progressed uh, in that last decade? Well, that's uh, that's a, a big question, Dom, and a, a, clearly a critical one. I suppose at the kind of um, biggest picture level, uh, 10 or 12 years ago, um, Nita always says, when you talked about this topic, the white coats arrived. I think that's a bit over the top, but I know exactly what she means that uh, having spent my time around various boardrooms, uh, HR, as it were, was a topic number seven out of eight topics, and often they didn't get to it. Um, and now the topic is up there. In fact, uh, non-exec directors, one of them should be asked to have a particular interest in this topic. So the thing has certainly moved. The question, though, is how far it's really affected things on the ground. And I think the word of caution I would offer is that um, it's still rather transactional. Transactional employee engagement is sort of based around, we do a survey, we take the findings, we cascade the findings to groups throughout the organization, we ask them to build a big sort of Gantt chart and uh, action pool of what they're doing. And we look back at that every now and again. Now, look, I'm not against that, but that's not employee engagement in practice. At worst, it can be displacement activity. I was speaking to someone the other day. And they said whenever they do an employee engagement survey, morale goes down because they do the survey. <laughs> 
And they say, we'll spend another 20 minutes of our life filling this form out. And just as in previous years, nothing will happen at the worst case. Or bits and pieces would happen. You know, somebody said teen toilets issues get addressed. Now, there are a smaller, but I'm happy to say, I think growing number of organizations that get transformational benefit from this. And that is really underpinned by an attitude that uh, employees really are our greatest asset. And that if we have a challenge, a competitive challenge, or a cost challenge, uh, or a need to innovate challenge, their instinctive reaction is to get their people together physically or, or a social media type to level about the problem and create a collective owned response to it because people really are. They are the solution to the problem. And those who have taken the greatest benefit from this see that. And those who are tinkering around the edges uh, tend to see it as a kind of transactional, do a survey and, uh, and leave it there. So um, good in the topics out there. Good that um, it's been taken much more seriously, but we've got to keep our feet on the ground in terms of uh, in terms of how far, on average, it's uh, it's affected things. It's led to all sorts of issues have arisen. Uh, all sorts of terms have arisen. I see it fairly simply that uh, you can't engage your people long term unless there is a sense of well-being. So well-being underpins long-term employee engagement, and you're not going to get uh, a sense of well-being and long-term employee engagement unless there's a positive employee experience. So we hear about employee experience, we hear about well-being, we hear about employee engagement, but they're all different sides of a triangle. They all, in the end, relate to, do I come to work and offer my creativity and offer my ownership of problems? and offer my desire to give great customer service, and offer my ability to innovate for competitive advantage, or do I go through the motions? And uh, what we're looking for is uh, is those in the former group who really do uh, really do own issues. Um, and in fact, I'd say, I'd say uh, Dom, in answer to your question, that the topics had quite a fillip mm -hmm. in the last two or three years, especially the last two years. And I'm sure in a minute we'll come on to talk about the here and now bigger picture, but um, whether we like it or not, we're being forced to look at this topic through a range of big forces that are going on in the wider environment. David, can I, thank you very much for that answer. Can I go back to these? You mentioned the difference between transactional and transformational, and that one of the great things that, that's happened in the last 10 years, there are more organisations starting to look at things in, in a transformational way. Just briefly, what has prompted those organisations? What are the things that have made them decide to do things differently? Uh, well, that's, a, that's, a, that's an incredibly interesting question. Um, and it can come in all sorts of different directions. It's, um, it's, it's very helpful if the boss gets it. Mm. If the boss doesn't get it, I'm often asked, how do you persuade a boss or a leader or a CEO to get it who doesn't get it? And I would say, well, do not use the word employee engagement. What you do is you say to the boss, 
what is it we need to do this year? And you will nearly always get some answer. We need to be lower cost, we more international, we need to improve customer, whatever it is. They'll come up with something. And then you say, and um, how, how are we doing on that? Well, not well enough. Why are we doing well enough? Well, not everyone really gets it. Ah, so do you think we should have a look at why people aren't really getting it? And you can open the door on the, on the vital role of internal comms to really get under the skin of why does that make sense? So those who get it, uh, it's helpful if the CEO uh, gets it. Incidentally, Dom, when we were doing our report, the number of people we spoke to about this who said, you either get it or you don't, which is very clear and very unhelpful if you're writing a report, because you can't write a report say you get it or you don't. <laughs> but it was, but that was actually the, uh, the, the thought. So they get it through that route. They get it. Uh, often get the, the other way of getting it is that in the bigger organizations, they find parts of their organization seem to be doing rather well. You know, they seem to be, they seem to mark themselves out in some way. And the, and the boss or bosses go and have a look at that bit and they find the place feels a bit different and the shoulders are back. And it, and it's actually more challenging um, because they're asked challenging questions by engaged employees and so on. So it's not, it's not easy, but, um, but they, but there's something special. And in the end, they're looking for performance. So, uh, they, that that kind of spurs interest, and the number of case studies are getting uh, getting bigger. I think uh, if you listen to, uh, I sometimes think to the Today program on Radio Four, you know, in the mornings. What did they talk about? Well, ten years ago, you really didn't hear the word culture. Mm -hmm. Now you constantly hear the word culture and trust. I mean, let's not get political, <laughs> but the word trust is out there in a fairly big way at the moment. So <laughs> trust, culture, behaviours, people are beginning to understand, actually, you can have all the right resource pointed in exactly the right way, and it doesn't work. And you can have some rag bag of resources in theoretical terms, and actually, they seem to be doing quite well. And and there's something people are beginning to see there's something over and above and very complementary to have we got our, our resources lined up in the right way, targeting the right area. Yes, but have you got your people on board? Do they own this? Do they understand this? And when you look at reports of what's gone wrong, uh, like certain departments in Midstess Hospital, like um, what was the big bank that um, that the case study was on that um, when you look at those learned reports, you nearly always find somewhere in there, and often fairly high up, is, and the culture went wrong. These things were allowed to happen. Um, and uh, so I think I think there's a number of forces uh, coming together. I also think younger startup companies, tech companies, I think they tend to be better at, at this than we did. They, have, they often have other problems where the, where the leader is so passionate about what they do, others feel a bit squeezed out, but that's a slightly different issue. They do tend to have a much greater sense of an egalitarian push to achieve something, if you see what I mean, um, and, uh, and a more natural kind of sense of, of uh, we're in this together. And this is where you get the kind of, um, you know, the away days, the workshops. The f you can do free fruit as a kind of cynical foy, can't you? But if you do it as a part of a, a belief and respect for your people, then it does have meaning. So um, different different parts of the economy get it more more differently than uh, or differently to uh, to others. Does that make sense? Mm, mm. There's something really interesting that you said there about you know um, 
when business leaders go out and they look at the high performing areas of their business and they find that it can be sometimes a little bit discomforting because then coupled with high performance go comes challenge comes feedback comes you know um a sense of of dialogue and interaction and i'm always reflecting on i think it was brenny brown who kind of um put forward into the public domain this idea that as human beings we're social creatures and you know a key driver for us is to to feel seen and heard and and I think that you know when I think about work I think we all come to work you know salary is salary but actually we want to feel that our contribution matters and so this to me plays into this uh, enabler that you identified in the original work, the enabler um, employee voice. And, and so I think what I'd love to do now is just ask you, in, in a nutshell, what that meant when you did the research, but also in the context of the 2020s and COVID and distributed hybrid working, the great resignation, and this kind of um, showdown that we're witnessing at the moment what what do you think employee voice david means in the 2020s as well so what did it mean originally yeah. what does it mean now i yeah. guess yeah yeah no yeah very good very good question i'll see see if i can get a very good answer <laughs> um, the uh, okay well where it came from was as i said in my opening remark um we tried to we tried to discern not a root plan but just things that seem to exist which we call it the, and, and successful organizations, which which we got down to these four things that enable uh, higher levels of engagement and ultimately greater success. Or sometimes people talk about it as four lenses to look through as you look at this. So there's not there's no order to it. They don't tell you what to do on Monday. But the four things were were these. Um, I'll briefly touch just literally almost the, the headline on the other three, and then we'll go to the important one for today, which is employee voice. So we said that there was a, a story that everyone in the organization understood about where we've been, where we are, and where we aspire to go. And internal comms has a really critical role in the socialization of that understanding in ensuring people have contributed to it, at least into how it's implemented and preferably into the actual business itself, and socializing and understanding it and looking at it all sorts of different angles so that people know where we're going. Why? So when they take decisions, they take them in the light of the purpose of the organization. The uh, the second thing that we found, or, or another thing we found, was that um, basically everyone works for somebody. We have a manager, be, be us the COO or be us the, the, the newest, youngest, whoever in the organization. And uh, those managers do a few things well uh, they're very clear on what success would look like they give us some scope to bring ourselves to that they treat us as human beings they really are interested in us they're interested in collectively and a boss is interested in us individually and we help through uh individual development reviews rather than the big dead hand of performance management uh, and they coach and stretch people constantly so it's not soft. If, people, if behaviors, behaviors are dysfunctional, they're called out. So managers are creating an atmosphere around the humanity in the organization, not a soft uh, version of it, but a sense of developmental opportunities, respecting them, making sure it's clear, making sure there's lots of coaching going on, both reinforcing and drawing. 
the uh, another one we, we talked about um, was really integrity, uh, and really it's a simple thought. There are values on the wall, and there are behaviours that are typically seen by your bosses and your peers. If the values on the wall overlap with the behaviours, you get trust or integrity. If there's a gap between the two, the the gap is called distrust. And if you work in a distrustful organisation, which I have from time to time, uh, everything takes forever, um, and there's never enough resource because everybody's second guessing. Trust underpins everything. And incidentally, I don't know whether you just caught the Lancet, uh, the medical Lancet report that's come out in the last few days, um, which said that uh, the countries that are best coped with COVID are not the ones with the most advanced medical facilities uh, and uh, and uh, or even democratic or authoritarian. Actually, the ones where people trust other people and particularly their governments. Trust underpins uh, uh, underpins everything. But the but the other one that I haven't mentioned, which is now we want to concentrate on, is employee voice. In these organisations, we found public, private, not for profit voice travelled, and informed voice was even better when it travelled. So whether it's the most junior person, voice carried to the most senior. Whether you're at the front end, sales and marketing, it carried to back office and supply chain. Voice infused the organisation. People knew what people were thinking. That can be opportunities in the marketplace uh, get trans uh, get uh, transformed through the uh, through the organisation. It can be attitudes in the organisation. People are incredibly frustrated by whatever it is, uh, and that voice travels through the organisation so that it is informed up, down, left, right, and so on. Uh, and that's the way in which you don't dissipate energy through silly blocking things going on. Uh, you find opportunities in the market. I mean, when I was running businesses, my businesses, things go wrong all the time. That's the nature of the world that's changing so fast. The question is, do you catch those things when they're small or do you wait until you've been gaming the emission tests in North America or the oil is gushing in the Gulf uh, or whatever it is or the public sector thing's gone wrong or do you catch them when they're small? When you've got a voice, you catch these things when they're small. And the last benefit of voice, when we thought about it originally, was um, it is the cheapest smoke alarm you can never employ. Wow. For the reason I've just described. That's so powerful. If you have it in there, people will know what's going on. You'll catch it before you need to bring in teams of lawyers and, and, and PR people to cope with the downside of it. Um, so uh, voice, that's uh, a slightly negative twist on it, but it's important. But the important thing is, People feel they understand it, they have a stake in it, they're respected. Now, look, let's be real world about this. You can't say yes to everyone when they've got an idea. But if they have an idea, it's heard. And if we don't, if we decide not to follow that idea, people are given a reason. Why not? You know, not a 10-page note. Well, thanks so much for the idea. We just don't have the resources for the moment, we think, or whatever it is. You at least respect people with a reason why. We're not going to follow that uh, now. So those that kind of sense of voice suffusing um, in order that um, employees feel they're heard and respected, it creates the conditions in which people want to contribute more, and it also obviates or reduces high, uh, light, uh, reduces the possibility 
of something going wrong and really starting to undermine uh, the uh, the organisation. Um, you know, voices when voices can't be heard, the Challenger rocket blew up, and the other examples I've given, and there must have been a lot of stuff going on in uh, in the political arena over the last few years, where someone will have said we shouldn't be doing X, but they couldn't hear. So, um, so uh, this that's where it is now. Where it is now, of course, really sits in the context of a much bigger picture of some very big forces that are really coming coming at the world of uh, at the world of work. I think that what you've just said there, though, that would be, you know, if we took only one thing from this conversation this afternoon, the idea that employee voice acts as a smoke alarm, that is the call to action for every senior executive in the country, is it not to engage with staff? Because there's so much, and we can talk about those big forces in a moment, there's so much going on now. It's physically impossible for a finite set of brains to make sense of all the threats and all the opportunities and so to have people engaged enough to share with you what they are sensing at the edges of the organization that quite literally is your smoke alarm is it not yes 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 absolutely uh, absolutely absolutely uh, critical it really is it really is cat and um uh it um it, and don't forget not only is it catching things going wrong but the old marketing person in me says you're constantly looking for the latent need you're constantly looking for that way of adding value to your product to your services well they're not and funnily enough the ones that are most difficult to put your finger on often end up being the ones that are most transformational to your position in the market now, you need employees looking for those things and championing their ideas and, and looking under the stones to find out what, what it is. And it's not as simple as saying to people, and the, there's a, that lovely thing that, um, uh, of uh, asking, the, uh, asking this, uh, this young man, this man, what he wanted in a car. And the short version of it is, do you want four, four door? Yeah, I've got a family. Do you want economy? Yeah, of course I want economy. It's very important. How important safety? Well, young blah, 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 blah. And, and uh, what about economy? Yeah, well, things are getting more. Yeah. And what car have you got? And the answer is a Porsche. You know, you've got to get underneath the skin of what people really want mm. rather than the tick box thing. And our internal comms has an ever-growing role to really get not only at the quantitative sense of what people are looking at and how they feel but why are they feeling it as well absolutely central uh, and absolutely central to picking up your point Kat when the world moves slowly and competition was less fierce you could command and control you could control from the center the problem with that is it's slow nowadays things are moving so fast you need people who own and are empowered at the front line to duck and weave and dine. People who recognize the importance of process, but it becomes their servant. And they feel empowered to step away from the process when the situation dictates and they're allowed to do it. We've all seen it in customer service situation where the customer service person is a bit hacked off uh, and they've got no scope. You feel it in the conversation. And the, and the customer service person who's given scope 
can make a world of a difference to your view. In fact, a complaint can end up, you can end up being an advocate for the organisation if it's handled well. So um, uh, the, the, the sense that we're going to ordain everything from the centre is really for the birds. You know, I love that expression someone said the other day, uh, has your market been Ubered? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And on that score, I mean, this will this will play to your market, your inner marketeer. I read a white paper a couple of years back, and it said the most profound thing. So the white paper was called the future of sell sales, the future yes. of selling. And it made this assertion that if the now of selling is helping solve customers problems, and finding solutions to those problems, the future of sales is helping your customers uncover the problems they don't know they've got Yes, yes. through a real partnership approach. So it is going mm. that extra mile because everyone, you know, there's, there's, there's myriad solutions for any problem these days, but actually creating that partnership and, and becoming part of the, the, think, the think tank is really compelling, isn't That's it? quite right, Kat. The, the latent need, I mean, my own little personal grade of sand thing here was I was the head of marketing for Dulux and um, we were doing badly. This is the real case study, by the way, not the one. Um, we were doing badly and therefore we needed something to G up morale amongst the force. I was in marketing. So um, I was asked to come up with some, something to tell them in a year's time at the next sales conference. So um, we looked around for ideas and in the end, through a really engaged group of people, um, we drew ideas from all sorts of places and we came up with rose white, lily white, apple white and so on. Nobody asked us for rose white, lily white, apple white, but the need to move away from brilliant white, have more interest, but not to go to a full colour because it always was wrong. People, A lot of people disappointed with it, but to have something there with some added value that was... And then, and then we had fantastic advertising uh, team went on. Lots of people contributed, lots of different ideas. The wrong people got praised. Normally, uh, there was a pro there's always a product champion, a product sponsor, and a load of people who produce ideas. And when we launched it, it was the most exciting thing. You went from 12 hour working on five days a week to 24 hour working five days a week to 24 hour working seven days a week, uh, and it gave us the uh, economic power to then buy manufacturers around the world. Uh, and, it, and it came from looking for the latent opportunity rather than the specific. So, so David, I, I know I can blame you now for all the hours I've spent dipping a, a brush into a pot of apple green. <laughs> apple white, sorry. <laughs> so. Thank you very much, though. I do appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> um, quick, quick question. I'll, I'll pass on to Jen, but quick question about the employee voice, because we do a lot of work with leaders. And you sometimes get the impression that leaders intellectually buy the importance of the employee voice and they, they, they then go out and say, we want to hear from you and then get disheartened when they don't hear anything. And I guess the flip side of that is that people don't always want to contribute or they feel they're not able to contribute. Plus they want to, they feel they're able to. And it takes a while as a lag until um, people start to speak up or to share ideas or even have a conversation with their line managers. And it'd be just interesting to get your take on how you can accelerate that process. Well, I think there's, a, there's um, some very good TED Talks on this, on the uh, psychological safety, mm. I think, uh, mm. rejoices under the name of. <laughs> and I do think it's, um, uh, I do think it's a, a very strong concept. You know, when you're in a group and someone stands up and says, 
I think we should do X, and X is slightly different from what you're doing. Do they get the, do they get the head bitten off? Uh, or do or do they get, well, that's a very interesting idea. We'll take that forward. Or I'll tell you, it's a great idea, but the reason we're not going to fight. Do you know, in other words, how are they treated? Now, if, you, if they bite the head off, then uh, you've killed off innovation instantly, and you've killed off positive feedback. And then the behavior is keep your head down, keep your nose clean. And often successful companies have the biggest problem here because why would you accept doing things differently when you're successful? Now, tell that to BlackBerry. You know, tell that to a constant stream of companies who, because they're successful, the seeds of failure are inherent in that success. So uh, you really do need to encourage people to uh, to open attention, uh, to, to listen to each other, to recognize the world is changing uh, fast and uh, and uh, and pick up the things that will make sure you stay relevant to a pretty fast-changing set of attitudes and a pretty fast-changing uh, set of market circumstances. So um, that's uh, a sort of sense that runs through this. Mm. I just I know we wanted to explore a little bit about, and we talked about at the beginning about these big forces, and the, and the forces are so different. There's change in the things, and there's many things that. I'm listening and I'm jotting down as you're talking around, you know, how internal communication can play a role in some of addressing some of those, those forces. And for me, these are things that I'm picking up from numbers of episodes. So I'm intrigued to get your take on, on what you see as those forces is, you know, there is relationship and socialization pressure happening. We're seeing this need for community, but actually relationships breaking down that sense of understanding, that sense of connection, just because of the way we're working this point around values in voice uh, and actually the, the, the focus on that sort of social purpose aspect and, and how we're living and how we're breathing, let alone what culture then looks around that. And then there's, there's something you said at the very beginning as well, which was really interesting about well-being. You know, what are we now in that force of well-being in a pace-driven, market-driven, agility-driven um it's kind of, <clears throat> I guess, competitive place for our organisations. And those are just to name a few, let alone some business forces. And so it's how do we, I guess, as, as a community or as a set of professionals step in with the right way in a new context and with our skills to help mitigate those forces? And I'm sure you've got more forces that, that, that we need to be considering as well. Yeah, yeah. The, <clears throat> very, uh, very profound uh, issues, uh, Jen. And uh, uh, that really do mean that there are huge challenges for internal comms, but also huge opportunities. Um, and I think it helps, not if you worry about it all day, but if you do have a sense of the, 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 the big tectonic plates, how they're moving uh, and what that means. And then from that, you start to get more, what do we do on Monday? The, the just to pick up the point you mentioned, the uh, there is a, a a seismic change going on at the moment. No one knows how long it lasts for. In the balance of power, for the last ten or twenty years, basically big organisations have determined what the conditions are to work in the organisation, and you can. You know, and by and large, you sort of fit in with it. And the, the, the importance of shareholders, employees, and so on had a pattern to it. 
and what's happened is with this current shortage of people for the uh, uh, sorry I should also add if you look at um, where the cake's been how the cake's been split up over the last 10 or 20 years more and more has gone to capital and less and less has gone to labor now if you look at what's happening now with a shortage of people um, people are uh, are now that the power shift has moved more to it somewhat more to employees it's been encouraged by the way by the fact that organizations have laid the responsibility on individuals for their pensions they've laid the responsibility on the individual in some ways for accepting or not the gig economy so organizations have handed of sort of wash their hands a bit of some of those things for their employees. They've treated them as, quote, human resources, which I think are the worst two words in the management lexicon. Uh, and this, is, this, is, this balance of power, though, is shifting. It's shifting because, I think largely two reasons, it's shifting because for many, for many sectors of the economy, they're short of people. So that of itself means, in classic economic theory, the balance of power has changed. You have to attract people. And secondly, the COVID has led to a lot of people reassessing what's important to them. I was speaking to a, a lorry driver just the other day, really, really nice guy. He started driving at 21. He was 56. He just said, look, I've been off work for a year under furlough. I've got grandchildren. I've tapped the calculator. I'm going to retire. And, and people saying, what is this for? I stood back. I've had a chance to think. And it's led to what is called the kind of great resignation, particularly in America. Was it 19 million people have left with a third of them not, knowing, not having a job to go to since April uh, last year? Four and a half million resigned last, last month. Uh, Interestingly, in China, I understand it's called the lie flat movement. There's people in China beginning to think about things. In Japan, which has an incredibly strong work ethic, the government's just talking now about four-day working weeks. There's a great kind of resignation, a great sense of, is this what we really want? And by the way, we've got some power now to think about where we work or whether we work and what kind of organization we work for. We want meaning and purpose to what we do. This is my great hope for the future, is that there's a values-laden generation moving into the driving seat, and that's definitely to, uh, to all, our, all our benefits. And at a more practical level, therefore, organizations, I was speaking to someone from one of the best-known management consultancies, I said, what's your typical issue that you're dealing with now? What's the top issue you're dealing with? expecting him to talk about the sorts of things that strategic management consultants normally talk about. But he actually said, oh, our biggest issue without any question at all is retract attracting and retaining people. That is our number one issue. And this is a high-paying, uh, high-interest, well-known management consultant. So um, those forces means that the role of internal comms has to adjust to understand that dynamic, help explain the dynamic, and help the process of deciding how we're going to react to that dynamic. So 
taking it down another level then to to what should organizations do recognizing these uh, these forces i think that um comms has an absolutely critical role in we've touched on it a bit on understanding the employee experience you know does every does every um uh, did the did the internal comms people have their yellow canaries you know, if you really want to understand what's going on, you know, and I know, there are always some people who just have a really good handle on that. Have you got them? It's not in the textbooks. Careful how you do it. Otherwise, you know, but make sure you've got the people who know what's going on. Are you listening through all the social media platforms to really what's happening? Uh, are you sorting out noise from feedback? You know, there's always noise in organizations. The most successful organizations have got noise, you know, my bloody computer's always falling apart and HR's hopeless. And, you know, there's always noise in an organization. But what's the real feedback? And you get it through groups. You get it through one-on-one -on -one conversations. You get it through social media. You get it through surveys. You get it through the yellow canaries. The other thing or another a theme or two that, they, that I think comms people have to really watch is fairness and inclusivity. People are now ever more conscious of the need for fairness. If you ask Glassdoor, which we had on one of our engaged success things the other day, talking very much about uh, this, particularly in America, but coming into the UK as well. I need to know I'm being paid fairly. It's not about um, I want to be, or oh, they expect to be paid gazillions next month. It's about I need to know I'm being paid fairly. So there's a lot of salary swapping going on to make sure that's happening. And there's a great desire for inclusivity. People are choosing companies that are inclusive. Diversity and inclusion is not, not just for the minorities. It's for everybody. Values-laden people are saying, I want to work for an organization that respects everybody. And in this best form, that are those who are very good at the detail, those who are very creative, those who come from different ethnic origins, those who have different sexualities, whatever it is, we want to include people because that's how we get the richest uh, understanding. And that's where I want to work. I want to know that we manage well through COVID. The organizations that are seen to have managed well through COVID have four times the levels of employee engagement and six times levels of well-being. And broadly speaking, I think, organizations fall into three camps through managing through COVID. The first one is the command and control group who monitor ways of um, monitoring the number of clicks on your computer when you're at home. <laughs> You're going to try and get sophisticated methods to make sure no one's taking the WhatsApp. Uh, absolutely extraordinary. Then there is the middle group who show empathy. And then, there, uh, in other words, they really do, they, they seem to be empathetically listening to the issues involved with being working from home. And then there's the other group that is empathy and do. Empathy and make stuff happen. Whether it's you need a computer that you haven't got, whether it's you need a desk to work at a home you haven't got, whether it is to set up a social network so you can have a virtual coffee meetings, whether it's to set up your uh, Friday morning lunchtime, Friday, Friday lunchtime discussion groups, where it's not expected to get to see work, it's just about the networking aspect of it, whether it's offering um, uh, coaching support and for those who feel mentally stressed or whatever, offering really thoughtful uh, decent quality resources to help with that. They do something about what they about what they hear, and by and large, I would suggest that when they do it well, 
there's a, there's a viral sense to it. That actually we learn from the bits of organization doing it well. It's not all ordained uh, from the center. And, and the internal comms are encouraging this great sense of trust uh, and speaking truth to power. We might talk a little bit more about that in a minute, about how you, about the, the pressures on CEOs, but essentially making sure there's a really good open voice traveling through the organization, recognizing the pressures that are coming on people, listening hard, getting rid of those irritating blockers. A little example, um, I broke the windshield of my car and um, uh, a chap, as it happens, came around to, the, um, to, to, uh, to us and uh, fixed it. And I said, as I always do, what's it like to work for your organization? And he said, um, well, they've started to introduce this um, listening a bit. And, um, and actually, he said, quite a few of us, um, sadly, are, are divorced. And they used to give us our, our uh, rotors, rotors one week in advance. We can't organize our childcare one week in advance. We need at least a month's rotor. And through that voice, through that pressure, they've now got monthly rotors so people can get on and organize their lives better. I mean, those little examples, I was at a company in Italy and one of their shifts finished at about seven o'clock, you know, the Italian families. So um, they said, um, uh, they said, right, well, we'll, we will make sure high quality, decent, ready to put in the oven meals are available to pick up as you leave work because that's, you know, Look, there are thousands and thousands of examples of what listening with empathy um, is, uh, it, uh, can, how it can manifest itself. So um, I think some of those things are, uh, are uh, ways we have to... The final thing I'll say is this on, on this bigger picture stuff. This is a bit controversial, but employees first, customers second. I'm, I think that's a good controversy. I come from you, like the marketing background, and I've and I've worked for many years in consumer insight background, and the where it is a very customer first mentality. And I think that actually an employee first mentality can give you far can perhaps give you far greater advantage yeah. um, than you're aware of. Yeah. And for me, as you talk through all those things, I just one thing I just wanted to say that popped into my head is we need to order many more smoke alarms. Yeah. We need to add some new sensors that pull through those themes that listen to the small as well as the big needs. Mm, mm, mm. And we perhaps need to place them in many more places than we ever thought that we did. Yeah, because yeah, actually that's brilliant. That brilliant. Is yeah, what yeah. can then funnel that all through yeah. to, to be able to, to, to respond and react. And like you say, for me, the word you said there is about do. Because yeah. if you don't listen without doing, then it, 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 it's never gonna it's never <clears> gonna build the trust. Yeah, 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 yeah. We said mm. we did, or we said you mm. did, or something. Yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely. The um, the the um, the final thing that, that that strikes me about this is um, we did some research uh, long, quite a long time ago. Interviewed twenty CEOs about um, their attitudes to employee engagement. They were interested enough to agree to the interview. They were, you know, often well-known senior people. And um, what were the barriers? What were the barriers to employee engagement? It was essentially the theme in these discussions. And you know what it was? If you boiled it right down to the essence of what they were saying, it was this. I am a CEO who could go to prison for a health and safety violation. I could lose my job with three consecutive months or quarters of poor performance. 
I am open to every form of scrutiny you can imagine. And you want me to what? You want me to be vulnerable? You want me to be available? You want me to talk in endless blogs and discussions about how I'm feeling? I'm feeling dreadful. You know, I mean, and and actually the the kind of the kind of thought behind that then, or the sort of thing you might draw out of it is when Intel comes to doing a great job, which anyone who's a member of your organization will be doing, they they will have some uh, they will have some things that are uncomfortable to tell the leaders or the leader. Now, you can do it by standing up in a room full of people and saying, here's the latest survey, and by God, it couldn't be worse, and look what they're blah, 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 which will put any person, any human being, as you said, as you said earlier on, Jen, we're all human beings, including leaders, will put them on edge. So th- spare a thought for the person who's got to cope with all this thing. Go and see them beforehand and say, look, I can't pull back and say what I don't think, but this is this is what people are saying. How can we give you time to think about how to respond? So maybe when I say it, you could say, well, it's a good thought. I've had a little preview. So what we're going to do is X. You know, Think about it from the person who's got to actually stand up and be counted. Uh, when that feedback is uh, is um, is put before them, uh, and it will mean, but it will just help the whole thing be oiled, and uh, and and the and the, and the leader listen much better, perhaps. David, look, we we have to finish now, sadly, but I think you've left us with well, numerous things, but two fantastic bombshells. One is about employee first, not customer first, and secondly is about have sympathy for CEOs. Those two things will get people thinking and talking, um, and perhaps even we can come back to a a second session a little bit down the line to see how people reacted to that. But for now, thank you very much for taking part of a fantastic conversation. It's a, it's a great pleasure and good luck to a very, very important function. And to thank you, you so much. Thank Thanks. you, David. Okay, bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening today. This episode has been brought to you by the Institute of Internal Communication and was hosted by myself, Jen Sproul, Kat Barnard and Dominic Walters. This episode was produced by Jessica Williams and Shabitalu Ogunpalu. And if you enjoyed this episode today, we'd be enormously grateful if you could rate, review and subscribe on the channel you use to tune in to help others know that we're here. Hopefully you'll tune in again next time.